are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Welcome to the show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and having second thoughts about being Gaston's sidekick. This is Season 6, Episode 4, Disney Remakes. I'm Adam Thomas, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Carrie Combs. Hi, Carrie. I just remembered that I'm illiterate and I've never actually had to spell it out loud before. <laughs> I just love that Josh Gad is also Olaf. And so when I like hear him singing LeFou, <laughs> I just <laughs> think of Olaf, Olaf singing LeFou. <laughs> um, which I think Olaf would be a great sidekick for Gaston. I would like someone to make a fan fiction of that immediately. Yeah, so so he can help bring Gaston, give Gaston some warm hugs to make him less exactly. of a tool. Yep. I like so, this. So speaking okay. of fan fictions, yeah, not exactly. This is Disney redoing Disney. Yeah. For what purpose? Probably money. money. <laughs> but in the meantime, we can probably learn something from it. And let's face it, these movies are kind of are downright fun. Yeah, indeed. We are going to talk today specifically about the Little Mermaid. Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast because they've remade a heck of a lot of their movies and we just didn't have time to watch them all. So uh, we're going to focus on those three music. Yeah. And Mulan was it less to me less of a remake and more of just a completely different movie because it doesn't have the songs in it. I mean, it's just so (sighs) different. How can you get down to business to defeat the Huns? I, I don't know. I don't know how you get down to business to defeat the Huns without singing about it. You need, you need to sing. So, and these are the, these are the three like Disney Renaissance movies that kicked off that era. Pretty critical. Um, Lion King. I haven't seen actually. So mostly you mean the new, the the new version. Yeah. Yes. The new one. I I didn't rewatch the Lion King because they, they call these the live action remakes and the Lion King is still completely animated. Oh yeah. Because it's got lions it's, in it. It's just it's just uh, really nice computer animation that looks real, but it's not a live action remake. <laughs> right. So the, and uh, these so, ones yeah. they changed they changed so it's between somewhere between Mulan and Lion King are these three films that are very familiar, the same largely the same story, but there are significant changes that for me as a, a grown-up viewer. Uh, my first movie I ever saw was in the theaters was Beauty and the Beast. So as a grown up now was enough to kind of reignite my curiosity and love for these stories. Yep. And I think that as we go through this episode, we'll notice that as they have remade them, they've taken more liberties with the original mm. story. Uh, and that'll be interesting to talk about. But before we do that, let's talk about some quotations from scripture and nerd canon. Okay, so grounding our conversation this time is not a scripture quote, but a hymn. This is a hymn by Catherine Henke. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And our quotation from Nerd Canon comes from one of the new songs in Beauty and the Beast, Days in the Sun, Bell sings, How in the midst of all this sorrow can so much hope and love endure? I was innocent and certain, now I'm wiser but unsure. I can't go back into my childhood, one that my father made secure. I can feel a change in me. I'm stronger now, but still not free. 
So the first Disney live action remake I saw and the earliest one of these three that came out was Beauty and the Beast. And I think this is my favorite of the Renaissance era films. Uh, I was never a big Little Mermaid fan, so a little trouble with that one. But Beauty and the Beast, you've got your nerd girl. And that's all I really cared about as a kid. Um, (laughs) A girl who liked to read. (laughs) A girl who liked to read. Go figure. Um, And it stays really similar, particularly in like look to Beauty and the Beast. They picked Emma Watson as Belle, who is many of us associate her with Hermione Granger, a girl who likes to read. And obviously she's very beautiful and brunette. So that's the two other qualities of Belle. And they auto tune her in this. So the real disappointment of this film is the music is, aside from the the original songs and the ensemble songs, it's pretty terrible. And I like that later on, they've learned from their mistakes since then, but starting out, Mm -hmm. it's pretty much on the surface, the same movie. The, the, the thing that they do with Beauty and the Beast, which I find frustrating is that they give Belle an uh, a little bit of backstory as the inventor and in the mm, original movie mm-hmm. her father's the inventor uh in this Crazy movie he, he, he's more of like an artist an artisan but not really an inventor uh she's figured out how to do laundry with a mule um the problem there is that it's basically signaling something to the audience that never comes back again in the film there is oh, literally yeah. nothing else in the movie that takes that has to do with bell being an inventor the rest of the movie is just her character from the original and they just made her have this little interesting side hustle thing, but it's not a part of the plot. Right. Like when she tries to escape early on, she doesn't make a cool invention. She does the old tie the bed tied together yeah. rope out the window thing. And Mrs. Potts is like, Ooh, it's a long way down. Yeah. That's a really good point. So it is, it, it, the beginning is an interesting, I mean, it was wonderful to see, the layers and brought brought to life, you realize how flat animation can be. Um, the the textures and the lights and the costumes were all beautiful. But aside from a, a couple kind of key changes, like I liked the realism that there's no bookstore in this town of obstinately illiterate people. Yeah, right. It's it's the it's the local priest who has the books, and only um, has like six of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like an unlimited supply. So the library scene is a lot more meaningful when you discover. Yeah you know, actual amounts of books. Um, but uh, I don't know, LeFou gets some more nuance. He's the kind of overtones of him being in love with Gaston are, or at least infatuated with him are a little bit more, sh- are a little stronger. That's actually one of the things I noticed differently in this movie is the relationship between LeFou and Gaston is, is one thing, but also the relationship of Gaston to the village mm. is a little different too. Um, and I thought this was one of the things that they changed, which is really cool uh, in this film. Um, during the scene, the song, uh, what's Gaston's song called? Um, is it's it just called, called Gaston? Gaston. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, yes, Why wouldn't it just be called Gaston? Um, of course it is. LeFou is paying people. Oh, that's right. To sing. He's giving them money so that they will praise Gaston. So it it gives you the idea that maybe Gaston isn't quite as beloved as mm. as he is in the animated film, mm-hmm. right? And then this is the big thing they changed in the song where they're going to the castle as the mob. Kill the beast. They 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 changed the lyrics of that song a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually went back and forth between the two movies to listen to the songs. Awesome. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, this Tell is what I, this it. is what I do. Um, so, in the new version, Gaston says, "Call it war, call it threat. You can bet they all will follow. For in times like this, they'll do just as I say." Gaston mm. is using the threat of the beast to make himself the uh, the most important person in town, the leader, because there is this imagined threat that he can rally the people around. That line is not in the original song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then LeFou, the next line, uh, or the next stanza of the song, LeFou say, sings, there's a beast running wild, there's no question, but I mm-hmm. fear the wrong monsters released. He is now right. recognizing that Gaston is the actual monster in this film, not the beast. And those are both new lyrics. And I think those are really interesting. They also added lyrics to the song Gaston about um, his hunting style. You know, he's like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm all sneaky. And then I um, I, sh- I aim for the liver. Then I shoot from behind. And LeFou goes, is that fair? And he yeah. goes, I don't care. <laughs> I don't and care. that comes up later. He sneaks up on the beast to mm-hmm. shoot him from behind. So you see, I think Gaston gets more character nuance by as LeFou does. But Gaston's is that he's conniving. He's not just this himbo with an empty, you know, this airheaded himbo. Instead, he's this conniving, strategic, you know, able to play off of people's emotions in some ways um, in a very gross way. And the way that he talks about relationships as conquests, as hunts, um, the ones who play hard to get that are always the sweetest prey. It just adds this layer of ick to Oh, him. total ick, yeah. And he really is a demagogue by the end of the film. Um, and there's an, this idea with LeFou kind of coming to grips with who Gaston really is takes him to the very end of the movie to do it. But um, it's, it's reflected also in the Beast's role um at the end of the film gaston as he's being held out over the balcony Mm -hmm. says don't hurt me beast and beast says i am not a beast yeah right so this whole movie is the the beast recognizing that he isn't really the thing that he's been transformed into does he drop him no he doesn't no no show him who you are yeah you're right no gaston (laughs) gaston shoots him while gaston is on the bridge that's breaking shoots him a couple of times and then Gaston falls because the bridge breaks as instead of just right. running off the bridge he didn't have to shoot the beast he could have run off the bridge and saved himself but instead he shoots him in the back a couple of times Ooh. and thankfully the enchantress's magic makes those bullets go away because once Dan Stevens appears Matthew Crowley from you know from, uh, Downton, from Abbey. Downton Abbey oh yeah <laughs> appears. that's where uh, he went he didn't die in a car accident nope, he went to he France. went to go live in 18th century France great <laughs> um but his shirt it has no bullet holes in it Mm. Uh, so somehow the Enchantress's magic has made him whole and sound as well. Now the Enchantress is another interesting change. So the whole the whole premise of the spell makes a little bit more sense. The beast is a young adult, not a literal child answering the door for a stranger. Yeah, they took away um, the ten years thing. Yes, from from the song "Be Our Guest." Thankfully, so it's yep. a little less weird. And then the Enchantress ends up kind of testing the town as well by being Agatha, the beggar woman, right? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yep. Should have rewatched this. So this, this, you're actually reminding me of what I thought was the most interesting change of the whole film. And it goes to the beast being a beast thing. There's Mm -hmm. a conversation about the beast's upbringing. And this is where you can Mm. tell the, uh, the writers are answering the age old question about the animated beauty and the beast, which is why were, why was the entire household staff punished 
along yeah. with this this obstinate prince. And how does no one notice that they're all gone? Right. And so the conversation between Bell and Mrs. Potts goes like this. Bell says, why do you care about him so much? Mrs. Potts says, we've looked after him all his life. Bell says, but he's cursed you somehow. Why? You did nothing. Mrs. Potts says, you're quite right there, dear. You see, when the master lost his mother and his cruel father took that sweet, innocent lad and twisted him up to be just like him, we did nothing. Ooh. And I, I think that shows, again, this this uh, there's a the trauma uh, response turning into, you know, rage mm -hmm. and this bestial figure um, and that the household staff didn't intervene in the upbringing of Prince, I think his name is Adam. Prince Adam, isn't it Adam? I don't. I don't actually know. I think it is. Well, see, now I'm second guessing myself. Well, um, I'm gonna Google it while you talk. Okay. Um, yes, it is Prince. It is Adam. Prince Adam. Yay! <laughs> hey. uh, <laughs> um, uh, they didn't do anything to to stop his twisting. I like that word. Mm -hmm. the, the twisting Twisting of this innocent lad. They're cursed as well for their inaction in stopping his father from twisting him. And I, I love the way that that's written. And actually only in seeing it written down in our show notes, did I realize Bell saying like, why are you cursed? You did nothing. Like as in you did nothing wrong. And she and Mrs. Potts is countering saying, no, we did nothing. Inaction can still be action by not acting uh, silent, you know, kind of like silence is violence in cases of extreme oppression they're in action in as much as they would be able to as servants and servants have a lot more power, you know, especially in this kind of setup. Um, there's, there's a whole world that they could have drawn him into and yet they did nothing. They left him to be twisted. And then in return, they are all twisted into these furniture shapes. I still don't know why chip, I mean, chip was a literal boy, you know, yeah, but whatever. Well, don't, don't, and, don't, don't read too far into it. And part of the spell is that, Everyone who loved these servants who presumably go home, some of them go home at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. They forgot them too. So the right. town itself is also under a spell. Indeed. Uh, so those are the those are the things we saw different uh, in Beauty and the Beast. And again, it doesn't change the story too much, but it does give us yeah. a little bit more backstory for the prince. It gives us some more understanding of how the curse works and mm -hmm. then uh, helps us understand how and to give us some sympathy for the beast, who's kind of awful when we first meet him. And mm -hmm. we understand that a lot of that has to do with his upbringing and childhood and, and all this stuff and, and how he's been twisted. And then Bell's compassion uh, helps him to to come back to himself, to the person he was, um, where he is not a beast. Right. Um, so let's move on to, uh, to Aladdin. Aladdin. Um, and, and here's, here's, there's a, there's some really interesting things that they did for this one from a cultural sensitivity standpoint. Yes. Okay, they so, finally yeah. updated yeah. the lyrics of Sunday Salam to yeah, they, Friday, Friday Salam. Salam. They this is why you say They didn't Salam. do that in the Broadway. Yeah, crazily enough. Uh, so we have, yeah, brush up your your Friday Salam instead of Sunday Thank Salam. Um, but the, the big one that they didn't do was the first song from the animated movie, um, Arabian, Arabian Nights. Nights. Uh, we right. don't get the part of Arabian Nights where they're, the, the narrator of the story is trying to sell you a bunch of broken stuff. Mm -hmm. which is kind of this trope of the kind of the Arabian trader who maybe isn't yeah. isn't really giving you the um, the goods. 
And they got rid of all of that and they give us a much better intro to this movie, which is Will Smith talking to his kids mm-hmm. about this story. And it's great. It's so good. And we don't see his wife at that point. We see her at the end of the film. So we get this great love story between the genie and uh, Jasmine's handmaiden, which is yep. just a delightful little thing sprinkled throughout the film, played with Will Smith's, you know, kind of hitch demeanor. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he's trying to get Aladdin and Jasmine together, but also get, you know, impress the the handmaiden. I think that that part's really fun. Well, and it adds, it adds another, like in the end of the film that there's a, there is a significant difference in how it ends with the genie choosing to be human rather than just choosing to be free and going off to the right. tropics or wherever he goes. Um, and I think that that, <laughs> that that adds, I mean, if, if you're going to be remaking a beloved film, with a beloved actor of the genie being originally played by Robin Williams. I mean, Will Smith can hold his own in a lot of ways, but he's different. So they have to, rather than just making a kind of one-to-one, Emma Watson looks a lot like Belle. Okay, we're not going to re... You literally can't make a big blue man that looks like the genie. So we're going to invite Will Smith to add his own spin on it and then, and give him this delightful plot line. And he does a really good job. I mean, how do you fill Robin Williams' shoes in that role? And I think Will Smith does a fabulous job with the character. He really does a good job. And I don't think there are too many actors who could make that role their own outside of Robin Williams, but Will Smith just has enough personality to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And then giving him his own storyline helps too. Uh as far as the movie as a whole, one of the things I think that makes this in, this remake really interesting is that they could have named this movie Jasmine. Oh, I wish they had. Because yeah. she is the main character of this film. It's really mm-hmm. her story about learning how to speak up to the men in power that is that, that is kind of the heart of this. That, yeah. that She's driving this whole narrative and Aladdin is there, but he, I don't know, he doesn't do a lot you know she gets a full-on song a brand new song written by naomi scott but she also gets a little reprise sung, of sung it. by naomi scott she didn't write the song sung by naomi scott Ooh, she's, my she's the she's the actress it was written by pesic oh. and paul who did dear evan hansen oh. see this is why i yeah. don't try <laughs> oh it's those guys it's That's those them. guys okay. <laughs> those guys all right so not only does she get she gets a new song and she gets a reprise and the much of and that song is kind of emblematic of her struggle so this is the song speechless and it's this highly metaphorical pushing against the weight of tradition overcoming and then this this, this declaration of i won't be silenced you can't keep me quiet um i gotta admit this got added to my disney oh yeah playlist me too i sing this in the car a lot very poorly it is like a powerful it's powerful a power ballad song. it's a great song oh yeah music by alan mankin but l- lyrics by pacing and paul yeah okay. so um and and she her again her story is basically i can be the next ruler of this land you don't i don't need a husband to do that yeah right um which i think in the original movie it's there but it's it's definitely a not the main part of the story the one the one line i remember is like the princess must be married to a prince. Just the way she pronounces that is yes. like <laughs> seared into my memory. But that's the whole thing is she needs to get married to a prince. And then so when Aladdin comes in as Prince Ali, there's this really funny scene where he starts talking about jam. And he talks about jam for like 45 seconds. Way and too finally long. he's like, stop talking about jam. But his whole story is about deception. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, if he just came as himself, she would have been like, hey, Aladdin, I know you. That's great. 
I like um, you. But that's not, he doesn't think that that's going to fly. So he doesn't, so he wants to do something else. But Jasmine, from her perspective, she would much rather be with Aladdin than with Prince Ali because she doesn't need a prince mm-hmm. in this version of the story. Um, and so it's not until he's revealed as the, you know, the street rat um, that uh, she can really step into the, um, into center stage and take control. Let's talk about Jafar. Does Jafar get, aside from becoming hot, this is, doesn't have to go in there. Um, no, it's staying in. That's totally staying in. <laughs> no, he's, that's what Twitter had a whole thing. They're like, hot Jafar. Hot Jafar. We root for him. Uh, we'll um, be rooting for evil because mm-hmm. Marwan Kanzari is just a beautiful man. Yeah, um, I don't think his story he, changes much. Much more? Not no. really. No, I mean, he becomes a sultan and then he becomes, you know, the most powerful sorcerer and then he becomes a genie. I don't think yeah. his story changes too much. But I think with Aladdin, the biggest changes are the cultural sensitivity issues mm-hmm. around um, the kind of Middle Eastern uh, and Muslim tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what they do with Jasmine, just giving her so much of a bigger role in the film. Um, and Naomi Scott does a really good job kind of chafing against the yeah. the boundaries of patriarchy during this film and then overcoming them by the end. Uh, and in her song, it, it's very stylized in the film. Right. It's, it's like mm-hmm. a it's a song that's um, um what do you call it? A soliloquy song. Right. Right. Um, she's singing and stuff is happening, but it but her song's outside of time and she slashes through the guards and they kind of puff away into yeah, like, you know, Thanos snap stuff. <laughs> she's got um, the, she, she could snap. Stones. She's got the, she's got she's the, got the infinity, infinity gauntlet. Oh, no. Um, so now those write the, that yeah. fan fiction, there please, you go. somebody. <laughs> Jasmine with the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, so in the first film that we talked about, Beauty and the Beast, not a ton changes. We did talk about a few, but the story as a whole is pretty intact. And Belle, who could be a much kind of bigger female character with, with more motivation, she doesn't really change much at all throughout her movie. The female mm-hmm. character in Aladdin changes quite a lot to be a much larger part of the film. And then we're going to, we're going to move to little mermaid, which is the yeah. first movie that came out in the, in, in the Disney Renaissance of the three that we're talking about, but right. it was the last one to be remade. Um, And in this particular movie, I, I find I think this is the best remake that Disney has done because they mm-hmm. take the original story, uh, which is really vapid. There is not a lot of yeah. story in The Little Mermaid and the story that's there boring. is not it's both boring and not a good lesson. <laughs> you know, yes, the original movie is women. You need to change for the men that you like. That's that's the whole story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. This new version, though, does a wonderful job of ex- of opening up the world so that it's really about uh, two cultures meeting each other and realizing that they have more in common than they have different. Part of the other biggest change, I think, is the location and the portrayal of Ariel, which I, as someone who didn't see this film until watching it for the podcast, although I wanted to. The only thing I heard about was controversy over Halle Bailey being cast you know a black actress being cast as ariel and the like just the back and forths of you're ruining my childhood and what they did is they captured the essence of ariel i.e that she's this beautiful you know wide-eyed dreamer and fit fit a beautiful actress who can sing into that role and made it make sense around that and having the story 
the under the sea part moved to the Caribbean, having the um, on the land parts, well, presumably also the Caribbean, <laughs> just makes it, it, it has a different feeling to it that fits the vibe of the film a lot more. And then also more importantly, I think invites people into seeing themselves in the film, which is one of the beautiful things that remakes can do. Suddenly, if you change a little bit about the main character or any of the characters, a whole new generation of film viewers can go can you know play mermaids and imagine themselves in the story with a little with with not as much work as they would have to do um with the same amount of work that you know other like white kids got to do when um the little mermaid first came out and even her sisters in this film are the are are of the seven seas mm, so they come mm-hmm. from all over the world and they really represent the diversity of the world which is pretty cool and they gave them a, a job to do instead of just being part of a musical performance, like in yeah. the original. And that, they're and the all first gathering song, on they, this. They cut that song. which That's a, not a good song. No. <laughs> they, they don't, don't sing that no. song, thankfully. <laughs> so they, they gather on the coral moon, you know, as for like a summit, basically. They're they're the world rulers of the of the seas and they're meeting with their father, King Triton, who rules the ocean. Javier Bardem. Yep. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> really good. Really good. So we have everything you just said, which is fantastic. Uh, this this expansion of of who is part of this story. And honestly, I think the, the quote unquote controversy around casting a black actress as Ariel, you know, it's one of those things where it's like the loudest, the, the in the field mm-hmm. of cows, the loudest, the loudest thing you hear is the crickets. Um, that's an I've old. I've never heard that phrase before, that's but an I old love quote, it. That's an old quotation from the enlightenment i think it's edmund burke might have said something like that okay anyway but yeah in a field of cows you hear the crickets and it's just you know yes okay so of course people are going to get upset about this just like they got upset about ray being the main character of the star wars sequels and Mm -hmm. you know it's just come on just get over it get a life this this is this is how we're going to tell the story and it's fantastic the actress who plays ariel has a phenomenal voice Mm -hmm. just just so good um and she gets a whole other song uh, yeah. You know, when she's finally on land and she's seeing all of these amazing things, which she sang about down, you know, in part of your world. Um, but her story is partially about, you know, falling in love with Eric, but really about exploring the world that she sang about in part of your world, which is her. Mm-hmm. I want song. Her. I want song was not. I want to go meet a guy and fall in love. I want to be part of the world. Yeah. I want to understand what fire is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they make Eric actually have a character because he doesn't yes, have one. They give him a backstory. They give him a backstory. They give him actual motivations and they give him a treasure room just like Ariel has. So not oh, only. I didn't think about that. Not only <laughs> They're both they have, magpies. Yeah. They actually have something in common that might yeah. bind them together as a couple. <laughs> so it's a oh little more goodness. believable that they might like each other. Right. Uh, but then the whole story is less about their love story and more about their two cultures coming together. Cultures that mm-hmm. have hated each other mostly because they don't understand each other. Right. Right. Um, and it's not until we see Ariel's tale after she doesn't kiss Eric in the moment. Right? And then we see her, her yep. mermaid's tale that the queen says, I wrote this one down. I haven't been looking at my notes. Uh, la, 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 la. The queen says... This is says, the work of the sea gods. I warned you, their whole world is evil. Their whole world is evil. Um, and then all the action happens. Uh, oh, and she also says, our worlds were never meant to be together. And mm-hmm. then at the very end, the queen has had a change of heart. And she says, our worlds have misunderstood each other for far too long. Your marriage marks a new beginning for us. 
Yeah. And then at the very, very end, we see the mer people and the humans all together as they watch uh, Eric and Ariel go off for their adventure. It's just, it's a lot, it's a lot deeper. And I think particularly like we find out Ariel's mother was killed by humans. We don't know whether intentionally or accidentally, but at the very beginning of the film, we see them kind of playing sport and trying to throw harpoons at what they think are mermaids, but actually maybe are just dolphins or some kind of other sea mammal. So there is this antagonism and Eric's backstory being that he was a shipwreck orphan washed mm -hmm. up, you know, on the shores of this, of this kingdom um, makes a lot more sense as to why his mother who gets the queen gets a lot more scenes would not want him to go out exploring, would not want him to be going into the ocean because that that's a dangerous thing. But he feels this call to explore just the way Ariel does. And they can kind of relate to one another on at least an instinctual level because they both have these restrictive parents who have a, a right fear, but it's turned rigid and it's turned, it's kind of calcified into this hatred and this assumption of evil. I love the way you put that. That makes so much sense because yeah, there, it is a founded fear, but they've they've pushed it too far. Mm -hmm. So a couple other just uh, we, we should start to move on yeah. to our meta discussion yeah. here, but I just want to flag a couple more things that changed in this movie. One um, is Ariel. Uh, watch. Well, let me say this other line. I love Ariel's line. We're not all the same. So why should humans be? Oh, yeah. It's such a good line. Right. Uh, number two, Melissa McCarthy is the best part of this movie. Her Ursula is so good. I just she is. I just yeah. love her. she's just so good as Ursula. <laughs> And they give a they give a bit of a you know it's she's King Triton's sister and right. so there's she's a little actually, bit more like why does she's she part of the family yeah yeah why does she hate him yeah mm, yeah duh well and there might be a little bit you know we don't talk about Ursula <laughs> uh, in this in right, this as that well fan right fiction. <laughs> there's some more fan fiction. <laughs> so many so and okay. the, and of course the last thing that they change in this movie is that Ariel drives the ship that that slams into Ursula not Eric. Mm -hmm. In the original movie, Eric does it. Um, right. So, um, so Ariel gets it. Also, we should just mention Aquafina and David Diggs <gasps> as Scuttle <God>. and <laughs> and Sebastian. And the um, new song written with lyrics by Lin Manuel Miranda, the, the Scuttlebutt, scuttle <laughs> that Aquafina does beautifully. Uh, and and I love just how distractible and like ADHD that bird is. Like she can't even get to the point. Yeah, yeah. Because she so keeps good. getting distracted. I just, I felt, I felt like. I identified. Yeah. So two more little things that changed. Eric gets a song, which is pretty forgettable. And but the big one is yeah. that they changed one lyric in Kiss the Girl. They Ooh. changed one lyric in Kiss the Girl. Possible she that. wants you to use your words, boy, and ask her. <laughs> We're teaching about consent. Teaching about consent. So those are our uh those are our observations for these three movies. We wanted to talk through kind of what changed oh about God. these remakes, but now let's just spend a few minutes talking about why beyond the profit margin it could be good to do this. Uh I think Little Mermaid's one of the clearest examples of that, of that it brings it can bring in new audiences. The number of little girls who have fallen in love with this story and with frankly a a good role model, a strong role model who want to be mermaids for Halloween and want to dress up and play, you know, that's all inviting more people into the story, I think is really important. Adding depth and nuance and layering, answering some of the questions um, that, you know, we had as viewers and just frankly, like reinvigorating these stories. What do you think? 
Well, I think that um, obviously the profit margin is the biggest one. And I'm glad that instead of literally just going word for word, shot for Mm -hmm. shot, they did take the time to to update these these films and to update these stories and make them more nuanced and um, more appropriate for the way that we're trying to live in the world today. One of Mm -hmm. the challenges with the era of streaming is that all of these pieces of media that have been around for 30, 40, 50 years are readily accessible. And where our where some of our our standards of of understanding about various identities or um, the way that we talk about things have changed. If you go back and you watch, say, the first season of Friends, or um, mm. I don't even know other other older media, you're gonna you're gonna cringe at some of the the ways yeah. that those that those stories are told. Um, and so I don't think I want my kids to see the animated little mermaid because of the way they portray Ariel as just this person who wants to get married and she's going to do everything she can to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm being a little bit ungenerous to the story, but that's my impression of a movie that I saw when I was a kid. Oh yeah. You know, um, and now, but I, I would have no problem with them seeing the remake because of the larger story that it's telling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, as we close up this discussion, let's just pause and, and and jump back to the more religious side of our podcast here. Um, one of the things that Carrie and I do in our preaching is take the story of the gospel and apply it to our mm-hmm. own lives and to the lives of the people that we're talking to. Um, it's not that we're remaking it, but we are right. we're telling the story. Yeah, we're not rewriting it, but we are telling the story again and again and again, um, recognizing how our lives are relevant to the text. I always try mm-hmm. to say it that direction because I don't think we're making mm. the gospel relevant for people's lives. I think we're making our yeah. lives relevant for the for the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do engage in some of this work. Like I've been preaching for 15 years. So the the sermons that I wrote early in my career, I do update sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I'll take them out of the file and go, okay, well, this is fine, but let me rewrite it. Right. You know, let, let me do this and let me because I'm different. I'm different than I was 15 years ago. I'm I'm new. I'm a new person. And every time I read the gospel, I'm new. The gospel mm-hmm. doesn't change, but I do. And I, but I think there's ways of, again, portraying it. So I, I talked about this with my parishioners a lot, how when the Bible was first being you know, established as a canon, told to one another, it was based in a culture that was storytellers. It was oral and aural, and then eventually visual, like reading. I, I joke that like the book of Daniel or Revelation was like the most rad thing you could have imagined for someone who'd never seen industrial light and magic special effects. This was a culture that was visual, that was story-based. And so that could blow your mind and, and and capture your attention and be a gripping story in a way that we, many years later, visual people who consume like TV and movie and video game media, it can feel a little dry sometimes. And I think especially like, I don't know, we're not, we're not a book people in the same way that we used to, but we still are a story people. And so find, I love new ways of telling this as the opening hymn said, the old, old story, whether it's godly play or in movies or musicals that bring the Bible to life in different ways that help connect like the little mermaid does to a new audience and make their lives relevant to it. Um, I think that we can learn a lot from 
how Disney chooses to remake their old, old stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. Please give us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice so others can discover us too. You can find us at nerdychristians.com. You can also find all nine of Adam's fantasy novels on his website, adamthomas.net. Sign up for his bi-monthly author's newsletter to receive a free PDF of his novella, Highest Stakes, a memoir and manual about my life as a vampire hunter. And as always, you can find both of us right here on the next episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. May the God who makes all things new refresh and rejuvenate you. May God put words in your mouth when you are speechless. May God show you all the wonders of the world above and below. And may God grant you compassion and strength to endure the trials placed in your path. Amen. Amen.